All right, so welcome to the Community Action Model, which is also known as CAM um, in our RISE podcast. I'm your co-host, Jojo, and we also have Josie here. And our program, CAM, is modeled by Paolo Freddi, who really believed that youth were the determining factors of change in their communities. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about a project that we conducted along with a couple of other CAM members in March of 2020 to understand the impact of tobacco on young people in the Southeast region of San Francisco, which consists of Bayview slash Hunters Point, the Excelsior Visitation Valley, and also Portola District. And so earlier this year, ASCAM conducted this research study. We learned how tobacco and price promotions really work together in the Southeast region and affected youth. And so within the survey, we completed about 74, um, and all of the individuals who participated were adults, so 18 and older. Um, and the survey was conducted online and also in person at the Bayview Public Library. And with this survey um, and engaging the community, we not only wanted to understand the way tobacco was seen, but we also wanted to see and learn if there were enough clinical and educational resources available in the community. And so the zip codes that we kind of outlined and paid close attention to were 94110, and so something, as it was all strategically picked, each of these communities have a really long history of inequities. And so you can see that in healthcare, you can see it in education, you can see it in housing, um, especially with the way that San Francisco has become uh, truly gentrified in all aspects. And so Josie, could you share a little bit more about the survey results? Yeah, of course. So I'm Josie, um, and in our research, we did a comparison on the median income for households in the city of San Francisco with the participants of our survey living in the southeast region. The median income for the city uh, is over 96000 while our data shows that almost half of the participants who took our survey are making less than 20000 a year. This number is only 20% of the citywide medium income highlighting the income disparities prevalent in this region. If you were to lay out a map of communities, you would see the most liquor stores are located in communities of color. This shows how normalized it is for communities of color to be targeted by tobacco ads. Um, more on this, I wanna add how common it is for corner stores to be literally at every corner in the Bay Area. I also live in Southeast San Francisco and I have three liquor stores and that also sell tobacco products within one mile of me. I think that's so crazy because there's so many schools here and I just didn't think it would reach me all the way out in San Francisco, but it's clear that it's all over the Bay Area because I've seen it in Oakland with my family in Oakland. I have family all over the Bay Area. Like you see, we're seeing this everywhere, just like gentrification. I think because we have seen it throughout our whole lives, we think that's normal. We think that having more corner stores and groceries is okay. We think that 
having more corner stores than hospitals nearby, we think that's okay. Yeah. It's not. Just like not having healthcare be universal is not okay in a pandemic. The virus is attacking our lungs and then also tobacco's attacking our lungs with poor structural housing complexes that we're forced to live in with um, secondhand smoking and all these kids are in their houses because of COVID and there's multi-family, generational family living in all these complexes like that we see all over the Bay Area, not just San Francisco. Yeah, I think as somebody who grew up in Eastside San Jose and later moved into Uh, moved to San Francisco for college, it definitely was a big shock. Like my environments are completely different. Um, Back home, you have like every gas station is pretty much turned into a liquor store. Um, And so really like access to to things that are are harmful on our bodies are more accessible than most of the resources that we see around here. And one of those things that I really link it to and I see the targeting is when it's predominantly communities of color. And so when we think about like the virus and also think about tobacco, we also have to understand that that black and brown people are already suffering from a lot of diseases that, that target their lungs, that target their kidneys, that target all of these places that you would need healthy in order to fight the virus. Um, but because of their way of living, because of their jobs, Um, And because of the amount of people that they oftentimes have to house with in order to survive, they become an easy target. And so you have African-Americans who are dying at two times higher rates. You also have, um, at one point, I remember reading an article in the SF Chronicle that that said that 80% of the people at SF General um, were Latinos. And so I think at some point you really have to understand this beyond um, an individual level and a lot more, um, paying a lot more attention to the systemic disparities that a lot of these folks are are coming into and falling victim to, honestly. When you mention housing, that is a huge one for a lot of people in San Francisco. And I know that oftentimes when, when we look at housing, we also have to look at the way that school districts are set up for funding. And so if there's not a much property value around the community you live, that means your school is becoming poorly funded. And if your school is becoming poorly funded, then that means that the knowledge that the students are getting and the resources that they're getting, they're truthfully not, not uplifting them in the ways that they need to. Something that also kind of like, when understanding like tobacco, I think for me, I really had to understand and the way in which education served into it. And when we were doing these surveys, um, I can recall that we had about like 55%, 50, sorry, 50% of the participants said that different price promotions um, related to the negative impact of SF youth and their community members. And so like, it was, it was eye-opening to see that they understood that, but it was also eye-opening to see that at the end of the day, like tobacco has become a resource for many folks who are also like dealing with different struggles in their life. And so I remember there was a lady in the community who who took the survey um, and I was talking to her a little bit 
And when we got to the question about like, you know, like, would it be beneficial to take tobacco products out of liquor stores? She immediately looked at me like, <laughs> like I was crazy for asking such a question. And she said, it doesn't matter like where the tobacco goes and where if it's taken out of liquor stores, because people are going to find a way to get it if that's what they want. And so I immediately agreed with her, honestly. And I thought about how heavily addictive tobacco is and how oftentimes the, the health issues aren't as publicized as other um, addictions. And also it, there's not the same amount of resources um, for folks who are struggling with tobacco addiction as somebody who is struggling with um, let's say like crack or heroin or just a, a harder, something that people would categorize as a harder drug. The tobacco companies, they're going to do whatever promotions they have to do to, to modernize, to get the new generation. It's not going to stop, but I think our part is to keep pushing the storefronts to uphold the law, to uphold the laws, the things that we're getting passed, mm -hmm. as well as bringing this education to them. Because obviously the school's not. When we were talking to people, they said that they received tobacco education once during high school or from a healthcare worker. They didn't learn anything about the side effects during school. Um, personally, I didn't learn about it. I only learned about it from family because my family would use it and I would I didn't like the smell and I would just like don't do it it's bad for your lungs uh, and I would all cough to make them feel bad all mean yeah but that was my way that was my way of doing it back then and this is my way now yeah I think a lot of folks definitely for myself included I I received more like sex ed classes than tobacco classes when jewels and vaping first came out, like there wasn't even enough studies to really understand if these products were as harmful as cigarettes um, or even really understand their effects in its entirety. And when I think about it, it's really, I, I put it in the hands of, of our elected officials to pay closer attention to, to community members and youth and to give them the resources to, to really learn about um, tobacco and its harmful effects. And so last year, I remember uh, Cam drafted a resolution regarding minimum price laws uh, surrounding tobacco products. And as they brought this resolution to the SF Youth Commission, they were able to get it passed. And it also went into like the board of directors. But we still to this day haven't seen any citywide laws being put uh, into place that really address the way tobacco is not only marketed, uh, but also used in these low-income communities. So um, there are organizations in the community working on harm reduction and education work like the SF Community Health Center, LGBTQ plus tobacco control program, and the Castro Clinic. So they're there, there are um, communities that are helping to work for tobacco control. When I think about like the resources like the SF Community Health Center and also um, the clinic in the Castro, I really think about like where these resources are actually placed and like how, how are youth supposed to always, you know, get to that side of town. Um, and if I'm being completely honest with you, kind of like just like the sociologist in me, 
really just feels like it's way deeper than than just providing these resources to the community, um, but also addressing issues of of disenfranchisement. And so by that, I, I mean, understanding capitalism and understanding why uh, big corporations target people of color. Um, I mean, like really tackling racial uh, systemic injustice um, and really understanding the interconnectedness that happens uh, between all of these things. And so I think for now, a great start will of course be continuing conversations um, with black and brown communities that are being targeted by these corporations and also just allowing them to not only have a voice, um, but honoring them when it comes to those spaces of policy change and, and standing by them every step of the way. For our listeners, they can take action by seeking out educational resources in their communities and share those with their friends and family members, continuing to support community partners, and holding elected officials accountable for supporting policies that make it easier for big tobacco companies to target communities of color. Exactly that. So thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, it is a really important conversation to have around tobacco and we hope that we inspire you to do the same and hold these kind of spaces in your community. That's it for our camp talk today, folks. I'm Jojo. This is Josie. And we'll get back to you next podcast. Period.